The word of the Lord from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 17 through 25. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since, in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I never thought I'd start out a sermon by talking about the death of Benito Mussolini, but I suppose is a first time for everything. Mussolini, as you probably know, was the fascist dictator of Italy during World War II and an ally of Nazi Germany. He did not enjoy a peaceful end. Captured and tried by his fellow Italians, he was executed by firing squad and then hanged in a public square. I remember being much younger, paging through a history book and finding a picture of his hanging and thinking to myself, nobody's going to follow that guy anymore. It's not a profound thought, but there is nobody in the photographer wearing a t-shirt that says, I'm with Il Duce. I bring this up to point out that a dead leader is not a great marketing strategy. I'm sure that had it not been banned anyway, enrollment in the National Fascist Party of Italy would have dropped severely after Mussolini's death because the message of the photo, the message of his hanging was, follow him and this could happen to you. In our society where marketing is such a big deal, it's easy to squirm at the thought of the church leading with Christ and him crucified. Not to mention the fact that the crucified Christ has memorable quotes like, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So follow the crucified Christ and join him. That doesn't sound all that attractive. Yet here we have St. Paul saying in our epistle for this service, For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God.
There are two parts to this that make marketing strategists wince. First off, Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. In other words, people want proof. We live in an age where seeing is believing, where you want to try before you buy, and you want a money-back guarantee in case things don't work out the way they're supposed to. We live in a cynical age where trust is shattered, where handshake deals and good faith are gone, replaced by fine print, the threat of bad online reviews and litigation. Perversely, we also live in an age where people also embrace all sorts of ridiculous conspiracy theories. While they might be ready to rule out Christianity, they are willing to believe all sorts of other outlandish things. All of this tells me that the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning isn't getting us all that far. In an age like this, the message of Christianity looks like a tough sell. First off, people are going to resist the ideas of God and eternal life because they can't see them. Second, the message of Christianity is going to get lost among the hubbub of various conspiracy theories and wild ideas, especially when people are combining the two. Third, when they're willing to sort through all that and accept the ideas of God and eternal life, and thus they're willing to consider the fate of their souls, they're going to want a religion that offers impressive proofs and a good argument that it's right. They're going to want a religion that shows off some miracles or at least makes sense. In other words, if they're even willing to give religion a look, they're going to demand signs and seek wisdom. This leads to the second part of Christianity's marketing fail. It's not that we say, hey, we've got a sensible message, but you need to take it on faith. It's not that we're misunderstood and need better communication. It's that the central message of the gospel sounds completely foolish. Our sign is a man who died a terrible death on a cross 2,000 years ago. And our wisdom is to believe that his death atoned for our sins and gives us the hope of everlasting life. And that sounds a little foolish. Don't take my word for it. St. Paul says that what we preach is folly. But it's the foolishness of God. We can write off a little bit of the foolishness to the phenomenon of opposite day that we talked about last week. Remember, whatever God wills, sinners will automatically go in the opposite direction. So, hypothetically, if God said that sinners could be saved by doing more good things than bad things, sinners would do the opposite and immediately demand that God do all the work to save them. Since God actually says, I've done all the work, I've saved you by the death and resurrection of my son, sinners are automatically going to reject that as nonsense. But, like I said, that's only a little bit because the gospel really does sound pretty foolish. But that's when your faith wants to burst out laughing for joy because the folly only makes it that much more obvious that you're saved by grace alone. St. Paul writes that a reason for this foolishness is that God declares, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. 
In other words, you know how you're not saved by your works? Not one little bit, not one little work on your part? Well, now you can't even say, I believe that Jesus died for my sins because I thought about it, because I worked it out in my mind and it made sense to me. You're not saved because you made the gospel make sense to you. That would be too much work on your part to be saved by grace alone. You're saved because Jesus died for your sins, even if that doesn't make sense at all. Jesus approves, by the way. In Matthew 12, the scribes and Pharisees say to him, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. Now this is the Son of God in human flesh standing before them. He could say a word and say, rearrange the constellations of the night sky or make the sun flicker between blue and green for a few minutes. Or he could withdraw the law of gravity for fun. He could do whatever he wants to do in his omnipotence, his almighty power. But what sign does he give? The sign of Jonah. Follow me, he tells them, because just like Jonah spent a few days and nights in a fish belly before getting spewed back on land, I'm going to spend days and nights in a grave and then rise from the dead. Follow me, says Jesus, because I'm going to die. Rise again, sure, he says, but that doesn't sound less foolish to the world. And this isn't a one-time thing. Last week you heard that when they demand a sign from Jesus in John 2, he says, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. They think he's talking about the temple Herod built in the middle of Jerusalem, in part because they're standing there, and in part because it's ridiculous to think that Jesus would be talking about himself. But the temple he's talking about is his body. Follow me, he says, because I'm going to die. Follow me and die in me, he says, and I will raise you from the dead. Now, your old Adam is going to argue that the gospel is just too foolish to cling to. But your faith can't stop rejoicing in the foolishness of God. The truth, the gospel truth, is that the Son of God died in your place for your sins, and he rose again on the third day. Risen again, he continues to visit you in his means of grace to join you to his death and his resurrection. Follow him by his grace, and by his grace you die with him and live again. On the best of days, the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning cannot give you eternal life. It might find a cure for the common cold eventually or, or build a better mousetrap, but it cannot cleanse your soul. It may boggle your tiny mind as nonsense, but the all-powerful Son of God has saved you by dying for your sins and rising again. He condescends to visit you here and now in his word and his supper. Forget signs and wonders. Rejoice in the promises and the wisdom of God. In Christ you are forgiven. In Christ crucified and risen again, you have eternal life.
In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.